Good to see you tonight. Glad you're here at our pre-Christmas meeting, the eve of Christmas Eve. So it's good to see everybody, and uh, we're going to get started in some prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this opportunity to celebrate Jesus, uh, opportunity to gather in his name, and opportunity to welcome you into our midst, Lord. We thank you for being here. We ask that you would lead us, guide us, inspire us, bring revelation, understanding. We ask, God, that we would be responsive to you and that you'd be glorified through our time together. I pray that you'd help us as we open our hearts, open our minds, uh, open our spirit to receive, uh, to receive what you want to say tonight. I pray we have ears to hear what the Spirit's saying. We pray for your Holy Spirit to empower our time. We pray for your Holy Spirit to... Prepare us and make us ready to receive. Give you thanks. Give you honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And if you need a Bible, you can grab one off the table. Uh, We have Bibles for you to use. And you can feel free to grab a Bible if you need a Bible. You can take it with you. We obtain Bibles to give away, and you can just consider that our Christmas gift to you during this Yuletide season. Yes. As you're looking into Luke chapter 1, I just want to remind you that we have an interactive feature in Bible study, uh, and this is mainly for our podcast listeners. It's through our website at www.speakpipe.com. Dot com s p e a k p i p e dot com slash Monday night Bible study all one word and you can go there toggle a button and leave us a message it's like leaving a voicemail could be a question comment could be uh, observation something good that God's doing it could be just say hello maybe let us know where you're from but we would love to hear from you and love to interact with you in that fashion so. Take advantage of that, send us a message, and we will endeavor to play it during one of our meetings. Luke chapter 1, verse 23. Someone volunteer to read that? So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. All right, thanks. Okay, this is uh, talking about Zechariah, and uh, he was a priest, uh, a servant in the temple. And so he was doing his round as far as his temple service was concerned. And he was married to a woman named Elizabeth. And they were old people. Uh, They had not had any children, which uh, for Elizabeth uh, was uh, a mark against her in their society. Uh, They considered that uh, she was under some type of a curse because she could not bear children. And so she bore that, 
as part of their society and part of the way that they saw things. And she bore that as a mark of shame in her life. And Zechariah, uh, he was just an old guy that was someone that worked in the temple, was faithful. And like I said, he was just getting done with his shift. Uh, and it, usually the shift lasted for a week uh, when the priests would come. And so they would go from sundown on the Sabbath to uh, the next Sabbath and the next day afterwards. So they would spend a full week in the temple doing things that priests do in the temple, which had to do something to do with candles and incense and whatever else that they did, which I'm not super familiar with because I don't care. So what? Um, so whatever he was doing, he was doing, and he was uh, going through it. Now, what I want to really look at tonight is what happened in the temple. And you, you need to read a little bit around that verse, and uh, you can see something that happened to Zechariah while he was in the temple, because that's really what I want to talk about, is that he met an angel in the temple. And a couple of things I want to point out about that. One is meeting an angel in the temple. I mean, these guys, they, they went through the, the things that they did, and for generations and generations, I mean, priests would live and die and not meet an angel. I mean, they just went about their business in the temple. There wasn't really anything going on in there. It was, okay, we're going to perform our rituals. We're going to go through the motions of the rituals. We're going to go through what needs to happen faithfully, and that's what they did. And so they would show up at the appointed time. They would go through the motions of what they needed to do. Everything got done, and that's the way it went. And so temple worship continued along and along for hundreds of years. And that was what was going on here. He was part of a big machine of people that would go through there, put their time in. He would do what he was supposed to do, get done with it, go back to his house, and that was it. That's how it worked. And so year after year, month after month, week after week, these guys would go in there, they would do it, no matter who was there, whatever the name was, if it was Zechariah or, or whoever, they, they would go through the motions of what they were supposed to do, faithful to what they were supposed to do, and that was it. And so, however many priests had been in that temple, I have no idea, hundreds, thousands that had gone through that temple in the last few hundred years, not too many of them saw angels. At least we don't have any record of that. This was big doings. That there was actually, actually a supernatural experience in the temple. Now consider that when this type of worship began in the wilderness with Moses. Now I want you to think about this for a second. With the tabernacle, that there was a, a literal presence of God all the time. So in other words, there was the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud that was leading the children of Israel. And, and that, that, that cloud would come and it would find a resting place within the tabernacle. So literally, when the priests would go in to the tabernacle, or Moses would go into the tabernacle, there was an actual presence of God there. There was an actual physical presence, like smoke, all right, within the tabernacle, to the point that Moses would glow because of the glory of God. And I mean, so that was the original space for this, is that this, this type of worship was instituted 
in that kind of a place. It wasn't this, this okay, we're going to go into this stone building and we're going to go through the motions of what was going on. And when we get through going through the motions of what was going on, then we'll go back home and just go about a regular life. That wasn't the way it was supposed to be. When the original temple was dedicated, the Shekinah glory of God fell on that place and filled that place and the smoke filled that place and people were completely knocked out with, with the presence of God. Knocked down with the presence of God. And I mean they worshipped and, and all that took place with that. That's how it started. And what it had become was not that. Because by the time Zechariah was going through the motions 2,000 years ago, by the time Zechariah was doing his part with the incense and the candles and whatever else needed to happen when the priests were there, there wasn't any of the good stuff happening anymore. It was just, we're here doing our job. And that's what they did. And I don't have any problem with him doing his job because he was being faithful to what he was called to do. And so there he was being faithful. There he was going about the business of the priesthood. There he was going about what he had been called to do, what he had been anointed to do, and why he was there. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing. And there's a premium that God places on faithfulness, and I, I'm a firm believer in that. And I'm a firm believer that, that Zechariah's faithfulness put him in a position, and I do want you to hear this, put him in a position to receive this visitation. It put him in a position that he was there where he was supposed to be, doing what he was supposed to do when the angel came to visit him. And I think that that's important. I think it's important that regardless of what was going on in his own family life, and, and like I said, they were old people by then, and they had, they had gone through whatever their middle age was or whatever their young life was to the point that they were old people, and they had endured the scorn of being childless. They had endured the shame of being childless. They had endured people making fun of them or looking down on them or whatever it is that that might have happened to them within their society because that was something that they thought was really important and that was something that they did. So they had endured all of that and through all of that, he remained faithful. She remained faithful. They didn't get bitter and give up. They didn't get mad at God and not want to serve Him anymore. They didn't decide, wow, you know, if God can't do this for us and we can't be bothered with Him. They didn't say that. No, they did. They remained faithful to what God called them to. He remained faithful to what God called them to. Elizabeth remained faithful to what God had called her to. And He was in the temple doing what He did, performing what He did. And it was in the midst of all of that that he got a visitation from an angel. I don't. I think it's important not to overlook that. It's not a random choice here. This wasn't just some random act that God did. Oh, there's an old guy in the temple. Let me go talk to him. It was that's Zechariah. He's faithful. That's Zechariah. He never turned his back on me. That's Zechariah. He still loves me. 
even though maybe I didn't give him everything he asked for right away? That's Zechariah. He's a faithful man and a faithful priest. And look at his wife, Elizabeth. Faithful, true, not bitter. I think I'm going to go talk to them. There's something important about that. There's something important about the idea of faithfulness. You've heard me say this a lot of times. I, I'll, I'll train anybody that's faithful. Anybody. Because I've had people with a lot of talent who haven't been faithful. It's a waste of my time. People that can teach and can hold people's attention, but they're not faithful. I'm wasting my time. Faithfulness is the one indispensable quality that a person needs to have to really be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's the one thing. And you can talk about smarts, you can talk about book smarts, you can talk about giftings, you can talk about charisma, you can talk about a lot of things. But faithfulness is the one thing somebody has to have. And so, here's a faithful guy. Zechariah is a faithful guy. And so one day, an angel comes, he meets an angel. You know what's interesting about that? That's big doings. I mean, how many hundreds of years? We don't know, but angels hadn't been showing up on a, reg, on a regular basis at the, at the temple, all right? And so an angel shows up in the temple. He's going about his duty. The angel shows up, talks to him, gives him an awesome word, okay? Awesome word. And we'll get into what that word was, but he gives him an awesome word. And all of these things happen. All right? And, and here's something that's really funny. Zechariah is faithful. Zechariah is true. Zechariah has, has been faithful no matter what had happened, whether God answered, didn't answer, or delayed his answer. Zechariah had endured whatever he needed to endure, and Zechariah was still there and still doing what God called him to do. But when that angel, and I want you to hear this, when that angel came and visited him, and that's big doings, it wasn't enough to get him to leave his duty. I mean, he, he had an excuse, right? Hey, guys, an angel came to visit me. He gave me this awesome word. Okay, take the rest of the day off, right? No, he didn't take the rest of the day off. You know what he did? He continued in the duty that he was called to do. He continued on. And he fulfilled the time that he was supposed to fulfill at the temple. There were other guys there that could have stepped in for him. There were other guys there that could have helped out. They could have called in Joey from over in Jerusalem. I mean, it was just a short commute for him. He could have come in and filled in for a little while. I mean, Zechariah saw an angel. He got a message. But he continued to be faithful because, you know why? I want you, you know why he continued to be faithful? Because he's faithful. That's why. That's who he is. That's who he is. And even after he had an excuse to stop, even after he had an excuse to go do something else or to call somebody else in or whatever it would be, he still remained faithful to his call 
and to his purpose. Now, I said before, he received an awesome word. Now, I'm going to leave it at that because he did receive an awesome word. And basically, the awesome word was that he was going to have a son. That, and I want you to think about this for a second. He was going to have a son. Now, he probably prayed for a son a long time ago, right? If he's an old guy. He probably, once, he, once his wife didn't automatically get pregnant... And I don't mean automatically like, oh, we don't know how that happens. I mean automatically that they were engaged in the right activity as husband and wife. But then she didn't get pregnant, if you're following what I'm saying. So she didn't automatically get pregnant in the sense that it would be the natural course of things. There probably came a time where he began to pray about it. And he began to ask God about it. But he was probably really young then. And he might have continued that prayer up until a certain point in his life. It could have been 10 or 15 years, depending on when they got married. And depending on how old he was. And depending on when he just gave up, right? But he probably had prayed that as a young man. And continued praying that into his middle age, whatever middle age was back then. And probably even past his middle age, he was still praying for it. But he was old now. People don't have kids when they're as old as he is and as old as his wife is, more specifically. They, they don't have kids anymore. You know, if, if you've ever heard of the, the menopause, all right, the change of life for women kind of works against having kids. All the stuff that needs to happen when you have kids, it stops happening. And so that's it. That's the end of the kids. And so that was the end of the prayer, probably, because you got these two old people, and that was it. And yet, here was the angel telling Zechariah, you're going to have a son. Well, that's good news. The only problem was, is that Zechariah objected to the word. Why? Because he was old. More specifically... His wife was old, right? And when you go through the menopause, I mean, this isn't just a modern understanding of how things work. I mean, they understood this. There was a change of life that happened for the female, and females didn't have kids after that point. Everybody knows that. And so when the angel said, okay, well, you're going to have a son, he objected to it on the grounds of it's past the time. And you know what really probably happened there? And I want you to hear me on this. He probably had just given up, right? He'd prayed it when he was younger. He had prayed it when he was in middle age. He continued to pray as long as he thought it was even possible for it to happen. And he just gave up at some point. And here, after he'd given up, an angel shows up in the temple while he's going about his business as a priest, and says, oh, Zechariah, you're going to have a son. Congratulations. And he objected to that in the sense of, how in the world is that ever going to happen? Now, but isn't that what a miracle is? Isn't that what a miracle is supposed to be? And and half the time, 
Uh, we Miracles are easier to believe when you don't know how it works. Okay? No, no. Do you understand what I mean by that? Miracles are easier to believe if you don't know how something works. I think so. All right? Because I know people that are really good at praying for cars, right? for cars to be healed or fixed or whatever. I'm terrible at it. I'm terrible at it. I'm not the person to pray for that. Because I have enough rudimentary understanding of how stuff fits together and works. And, and I'm not saying I won't pray for it, because I do. But it's harder for me to do that than it is for some people who have no idea how a car works. Oh, wow, my car just stopped. All right. They're the person I want to pray for my car to work. Is that person who has no idea what's going on. Because it's easier to believe for it. Because it's not, oh, well, the A, B, C, and D have to happen. No, just one thing needs to happen. The car needs to run. All right? So I'll pray for that, and that's it. There's no, there's no diagnosis going on in anybody's head anymore. All right? Like there would be in mine. Like, oh, okay, well, how'd this happen? Well, what's probably wrong? What should I check next? Nope, just run. Just run. But that's true for a lot of things. That's true for a lot of things. You think about places that are still seeing high volume of miracles. They're in places where there's still a little bit of wonder about how things work. And I'm not saying that in any negative fashion. I'm just saying that that's the case. That maybe medical knowledge is not as widespread as it is here. Maybe it's in places where people don't check WebMD every time they have an ache or a pain or their stomach feels funny. Maybe it's in places where there, there just isn't that kind of access to medical care where they can just make a phone call or just drive down to urgent care when they feel like it. Maybe it's in places that don't have the same kind of medicine we do or have the same kind of access to medicine we do or diagnostic equipment. Maybe it's in places where you can't just take an x-ray whenever you feel like it or an MRI or a CT scan. Maybe it's in places where there's still a bit, little bit of wonder about what's really wrong. And we just really need to trust God for this one. Let's pray and let's believe together for healing. And so I, I see things like that, or, or you could apply this to a lot of different things. And what you see in Zechariah is, here is a natural human process. That he understood. There's a natural human process that not only did he understand it, everybody kind of knows how that works. And everybody kind of knows that after a certain point, it doesn't work anymore. And everybody kind of knows that after a certain point, you just give up and you don't think about it anymore. It's just done. That's what everybody knows. And so then when the angel comes and says, oh, we got, you're going to have a son. That's the miracle part. That's the miracle part. And if he didn't know how it worked, and he didn't know about the age thing, and he didn't know that it was too late, and he didn't know to give up, 
he probably wouldn't have rejected it. He probably wouldn't have have come against it in his own heart or objected to it in his own mind the way that he did. And so I want to encourage you to leave a little bit of wonder in your life. I'm talking about this Sunday, and I want to encourage you again about this. It's good to have a little bit of wonder. You know, that's how men and women, believers, in this day and age, can still walk on water. Because they do. Accounts after accounts of people walking on water. There's an account of a guy in India that would cross a river walking on water every day. Go across and then come back. Not because he's showing off, because he has to get somewhere on the other side and then he just comes and he walks back. How? He just believes it. And he does it every day. A little bit of wonder. A little bit of wonder. How's he do it? I don't know. It's a miracle. I mean, I, I met so many people, so many Christians, spirit-filled Christians even, that all they want to do is rip stuff apart. Why? Why? Why rip apart a miracle? Why rip apart something that is fantastic like that? Well, that's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, it is, actually. Based on what? Science? Science don't believe in much, okay? Don't think, about the only thing science believes in or shows any faith in is like evolution or something. That's about it. Because they sure as heck can't prove it, but man, they'll believe in it. Or, or maybe climate change or something. You know, there's certain things they'll believe in, but not much. Because pure science is all about proving, disproving, all the rest of that kind of stuff. Well, we're not really applying the scientific method to the miracles of God. Because that's not what it's for. That's not what it's for. See, we need a little bit of wonder for that. We need a little bit of, uh, of slack to our rigid reality. Because who's not seeing miracles? Western Europe? Right? Who's not seeing miracles? United States? North America? Canada? Yeah. Yeah, you mean, you mean God doesn't jump through our hoop of the scientific method to go about his business? Well, maybe sometimes, I guess. But not as much as we see him moving elsewhere. That's for sure. So Zechariah... He's a good example. This is something he's familiar with, something he knows how it works. He objected to what the angel told him. And that was a good word, too. That was a good word. And I'm not taking away from him. He's faithful. I'm not taking away from him. He's not bitter. I'm not taking away from him that he's somebody that could be counted on. He's somebody that, that God picked out to give this message to. Right? I'm not taking anything away from the guy. All I'm telling you is, is that he objected to something because he knew how it worked. That's us, isn't it? So hold on to that. And so he's going to have a son. And here's what, um, remember he prayed that prayer when he was young? 
middle age, whatever. Okay, so now God's answering the prayer. Well, he gave up on it. Well, that doesn't mean the prayer wasn't made, did it? It doesn't mean he didn't ask for it. It doesn't mean he was faithful to ask for it for how many years? He'd been asking, 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 knocking, 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 knocking at the door, knocking. God finally got up and was coming to the door. You know, to use the illustration of the parable, I know God wasn't really sitting down or laying down in his bed with his family, but that was what the illustration in the parable was, okay? So God finally got up. He's coming to the door. Going to answer the prayer. And so, some of you have been praying stuff for a long time. Some of you have been praying stuff for so long that you gave up already. Doesn't mean it ain't coming. Doesn't mean it's not coming. All it means is it ain't here yet. And so, this answered prayer, he's going to have a son. He'll lead to the conversion of many. He's going to lead people to change and repentance. And, and, he's going to prepare people for the Messiah, for the Christ. That's the awesome message the angel gave him. Yes. So not only did he answer his prayer, not only did he answer his prayer, but he answered it with even more. Not just a son. He's having John the prophet. He's having the forerunner of Christ. He's having the Elijah that's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. So more than just the son. Right? Answering that prayer. Answering it. And so what happened was because he had... Now, think about this for a second. I want you to really think about this because he would objected to the word. The Bible says that he couldn't speak. He couldn't speak anymore. And that was kind of a blessing. And the reason it was kind of a blessing is because he couldn't speak his unbelief anymore. God God took that away from him, that ability. You're not going to speak your unbelief anymore. You know, if you ever think about it, it's like, what if God took away your ability to speak unbelief? Would that be a real curse? Or would that be in many ways a real blessing? Because for him, even though he couldn't speak, I mean, there was a certain blessing that his unbelief could no longer be spoken. And that was it. Done. It was really a work of mercy that he was able to do that. That God did that over the guy's life. And so here he was, mute. He He really couldn't speak any kind of unbelief to himself or anybody else. I mean, he, I guess he could talk within his own spirit, but he wasn't going to say it to anybody else. And according to, if you look in Luke one sixty-two, okay, it indicates in Luke one sixty-two that not only was he mute, but he was also deaf. Okay, so here you have Zechariah, who was deaf, likely deaf and mute. From that point on, there he was. But you know what that didn't do? It didn't hinder his service and his duty in the temple. Because like I said earlier, 
he finished out his time. So not being able to speak and not being able to hear did not hinder his work and his service in the temple. In fact, there were certain things that being deaf or mute could hinder for a person in that society. But one of those things was not serving as a priest in the temple. Being deaf and mute did not hinder your service as a priest in the temple. By law, you were not disqualified. And so he just did his duty. So even after he got an angelic visitation, big doings, even after the angel gave him an awesome message, should have made him happy, going to have a son, and he's going to be not just a son, but he's going to be the forerunner of, of the Christ. And, and on top of that, this prayer that had been praying for so long, however many decades he'd been praying this prayer, was finally answered. Big doings all over the place. And he is deaf and mute. Definitely should call Joy to fill in for the rest of the time, right? No. He finished up his time. And I want you to consider how faithful that shows him to be. Period. Period. Understand that. He's deaf and mute, and he's still not bitter enough to quit. Right? Right. He has kept going. Just kept going. Finished out his time. And then the Bible said he went home. You see, he finished his duties in the temple. He finished up. There's a word there uh, in some of your older Bibles would say ministration. He finished his ministration in the temple. And it conveys a, a similar meaning as a verse in Hebrews 1.14. And that verse in Hebrews 1.14 talks about ministering spirits. Alright? And that's kind of an important verse because it, it, it talks about how we're ministered to as a people spiritually. And we're ministered to very similarly, similarly in our spirit as God is ministered to in heaven. And so as Zechariah is finishing out his ministration, it conveys that similar meaning as that ministering spirit that, that ministers to us, that ministers even to the Father. And there's something sacred about that. There's something important about that. There's something as a type, as a, as a, a way of seeing it and physically portrayed. And I think sometimes we look at some of the things we do and it's like, wow, that doesn't seem really that important or nobody notices it. Right? Right. Yeah, but how often do you notice angels ministering to you? Ever? Do you ever notice that? Do you ever notice angels that are taking care of you? Angels that are watching out for you? Angels that are looking out for your well-being or protecting you? Angels that are actually ministering? And I mean, this is touching you, ministering to your spirit. Do you ever notice? Do you care? Good thing they don't have the same attitude we do. Because if they did, if they did, 
we'd be in a lot of trouble. But they don't. I guess maybe some of them did. They were cast out of heaven. All right? Because there's something really demonic about it. Literally. I'm not saying I'm not saying that like, oh, you know, uh, this is indicating some type of demonic oppression or something like that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's characteristic of the angels that were cast out of heaven. That's what it's characteristic of. To, to entertain those kind of thoughts and to live in those. Because our ministry and the ministration that God has called us to, some of it is going to be obvious and some of it is not. Some of it people are going to see and appreciate, and some of it will go unnoticed for the rest of our lives. We don't do it to be noticed. We don't do it to receive attention. We don't do it to receive praise. We don't do it to have somebody tell us, Add a boy, way to go. We do it because it's our call. Or we do it because it's the instruction of the Holy Spirit. Or we do it... Because it's what God has laid out for us and for our lives and our purpose. And if no one ever notices, no one ever sees, or no one ever cares, it matters not. It doesn't. Because this story would have been the same story if Zechariah had up and left the temple right after this happened and joy from East Jerusalem had filled in. Okay? We wouldn't have known that part. All we'd have known is Zechariah went back to his house. But he didn't. But he didn't. He finished his ministration in the temple. He finished his days, the usual order of the temple, from Sabbath to Sabbath. And if you want to see that, you can see in Second Kings 11.5 where it talks about that. And so then as we're, we're looking at this, the second part of the idea of the ministration, that, that ministry, the, the ministering spirits, the, the word is taken. Now this is kind of an interesting thing if you can follow me on this. The, when Christianity was beginning to develop a language, a vocabulary, it needed a vocabulary to help people understand what it meant, what people meant when they were talking about the things in Christianity. Because they didn't want to continue using Jewish terms all the time. Because they, they didn't exactly express what was happening. And it was confusing to take other religious terms and just apply them to something that wasn't exactly what that religious term was referring to. They also reached a point in their history, we reached a point in our history where we wanted to be differentiated from the Jewish religion. And that wasn't necessarily by choice of the early church. It was really by choice of the Jewish people that kept persecuting the early church and saying they don't have anything to do with us. And so, so as it evolved, as Christianity evolved, it became less and less a sect of Judaism and became more and more its own thing. And so some of the words that Christians began to take and began to use and began to employ to explain what was going on within our faith 
They borrowed from secular places. They would take words that would be used, say, within the Roman government, and they would take that word and then they would apply it to something that was going on in the church. One of those words that's applied like that is this word for ministration and ministry. Because originally, that word was a secular word. And what it meant was to serve everyone. It'd be like someone that was going to be some type of a leader in the government. They would serve as, and some governments still use this word, Canada or England or some places they still use like prime minister. Or they would use a word uh, like a minister of defense or a minister of commerce. You know these words. So the idea behind it was that that person would serve everyone. And so the, the idea that was passed down through the church is the idea that this ministration, this ministering spirit, the idea of how we are ministered to, how I'm ministered to, how even God is ministered to, the idea is that it belongs to us all. In other words, this isn't for me in particular, it's for us. It isn't for any, any individual or any group of individuals, it's for everybody. Because even people that don't know Jesus, they talk about angels in the book of Hebrews. And in the book of Hebrews, they talk about angels, they say, well, they're, they're ministering spirits, and they minister even to the heirs of salvation. Meaning, here's people that aren't even saved yet, that are receiving this ministry. People that don't know Jesus yet are receiving that ministry. It belongs to all of us. And so you should not be surprised that angels are ministering to you. You should not be shy about that. That should not be something that, that you wonder about. Oh, I wonder if the angels are ministering to me. Yeah, they minister to everybody. It's for us. It's for all of us. It belongs to every single one of us. And that's what God wants you to understand, is that He's provided for you spiritually. And that part of that spiritual provision is a physical and is an emotional provision too. That these angels can minister to us, body, soul, and spirit. When Jesus was in the wilderness, and, and the Bible talks about how He was tempted of the devil. And after He was tempted of the devil, He was hungry. What does it say angels brought for him? You remember? Yeah. It brought for him food that he could eat and stuff. So they were ministered to him physically even. Good guess, Tim. I don't know about, I, I don't remember what it says, if it says bread or not, but I know it's food. And, and he they provided for his needs. Well, right, they provided for his needs. But they provide for us. Body, soul, spirit, whatever your need is, they provide. Right? And, and I don't worship angels. I mean, I know it's Jesus that does. I know it's the Father that cares for us and stuff. They're just that means by which He chooses to do so. And, and there's nothing weird about that. He chooses to use us. Right? Doesn't He call us to go do stuff? Doesn't He give us and commission us to go do stuff? Doesn't He have us serve people? Doesn't He have us provide for people? Of course He does. That's part of His provision. That's part of the way He does things. So why is it weird that he would have angels do that? It's not weird. They're just a different kind of being. 
But they still do the same kind of work and the same kind of things and they minister in some of the same kind of ways. And the fact that you don't see them doesn't mean it's not real. The fact that you don't hear them doesn't mean it's not real. And you've got to keep that in mind. Because as you begin to accept that this happens, as you begin to accept that there are angels and there are spirits that these ministering spirits that will minister to you. Guess what might happen? You may begin to see them or notice them or recognize their ministry more. You might. Because at least you're sort of aware it's going on. I've always been shocked what you can do right in front of people if they don't expect it. I'm totally serious. Well, like uh, when I, you know, I hate to give away all my secrets, but we'd I'd have interns, right? And and it's and new interns are famous for not paying attention to anything and being self-absorbed. It's just the way it is. And so I'd, I'd sit across from one of my interns. We were out having fellowship or something. We'd be eating. And I would just take my fork and I would just spear things off their plate and eat it right in front of them. And I know you think they noticed and they just didn't say anything. They really didn't notice. Yeah, I'm just thinking of one specific guy that, <laughs> that just made me laugh all the time. Because I'd be eating, there'd be a tot there, and stab a tot and just eat it and just keep eating and talking at the same time. Just while we were engaged and eating and talking together. Shocking, shockingly, wouldn't even notice. The same guy, I stole the hubcaps off his car one night, and I put them on somebody else's car. <laughs> oh, this is a good one. And this is a, this is a car he would see all the time. And I already talked to me, he's like, man, somebody stole my hubcaps, I'm so mad. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, well, things happen. But they were right on a car in the same neighborhood that the kid lived in, all right, not too far, and he would see them almost every day on that car, never noticing, never even noticing. So, this gets worse. So we're driving down to an outreach down in Ithaca, okay, just driving down. And the car that the stolen hubcaps were put on gets a flat tire. So it pulls over. The kid whose hubcaps were stolen on the car helps change the tire on the car. Meaning he takes his own hubcap off the car, takes the tire off, puts a new tire on and puts the hubcap back on the tire. All right? Never notices. Never notices. All right. Did that answer your question? Okay, good. All right. All right, good. All right. There's lots of examples. I mean, I, I run the same I run the same stuff every every year with the interns. All right, all right. Yeah, but I'm telling you, I run the same stuff every year. Because because there's a certain level of self absorption that we all have as human beings. And unless we train ourselves to be more present, and I mean really train ourselves to be more present, 
we live kind of in this pseudo-reality. And so it's easy to run that same game all the time because people do not live in a full realization of what's going on around them. And I'm talking just physically. Now, start thinking about that in terms of emotionally or spiritually. The physical you can actually see. You can actually see it. You can hear it. And if we're not savvy enough to pay attention to that, right? how easy is it to miss the others? How easy is it to miss emotional cues or, or spiritual cues, specifically spiritual cues? How easy is it to miss? And so what I'm hoping to do, talking about this, the, the, the ministration, the, the, spirit, the, the ministry of the Spirit and the angels, is to, is to make you more aware. To say, I'm pointing it out. I'm like, this is going on. This is all of us. This is for all of us, the common. It belongs to us all. And so I want to make you aware so you open your eyes. Once I told the guy I was stealing tots off his plate, it was harder to steal tots off his plate. Okay? It's not impossible, but it is harder. And and when the hubcaps were returned, and he knew where they had been the whole time, it would have been harder to hide them in the same place. Hide them is in quotes because they weren't hidden. They were in plain sight. Okay? So I'm hoping that by saying this, it makes it more difficult for you to ignore it. I don't want you to ignore it. I don't want you to live with your eyes closed. I don't. There's so much going on around us. There's, there's so much that's happening. There's a whole reality, a spiritual reality that's going on all the time around us. And we don't want to miss it. We don't want to ignore it. And we don't want to pretend it's not there. Let there be a little bit of wonder. All right? Foster that. Grow that in you. That little bit of wonder that, that can blossom into something so great in your life. That, that things that you dismiss as coincidence may not really be coincidence at all. Might really be a move of the Spirit. Might really be a provision that God brings into your life. If you look at the, the end of the story, the end of this verse here, Zechariah... He leaves the temple and he goes to his house, which is about probably 20 miles away. So he's got to get to his house. So he does. And the Bible says that soon after he gets to his house and returns home, his wife conceived. All right. So we don't get the picture in here like we do with Mary in the Christmas story, uh, that it was the Holy Spirit that descended upon Mary and and uh, the Virgin, who'd never laid with a man, never been with a man, conceived. That wasn't what happened here. The old man, the old man, hiked 20 miles back to his house, 
couldn't speak, deaf and mute, found his old lady wife. They got together, as men and women do, and she conceived. And what I want you to see is that he took that which had happened in the temple, that angelic visitation, that supernatural revelation. He took that supernatural encounter. He took that, that wonder that had happened when he was going about his service and his ministration in the temple. He took it from the temple and he took it to his house. Because that's where he was going. And that wonder and that ministration, that, that, that big doings, then brought about a physical reality in his home and in his wife. And nine months later, she bore a son. So it's not that we get an experience. That's not what this is about. I could care less. I mean, I love having good experiences. I think it's fun and cool. I want to live in this stuff. I really do. I want to take it wherever I go. I want to deliver that ministry wherever I'm at. I want to be aware of what the Holy Spirit's doing. I want to be aware of what God is doing. I want to be aware of what angels are doing. I want to be aware of what God wants to have happen. And I want to see it happen. And I want to see that wonder doing wonderful things no matter where I'm at. So I, I look at those moments when we're in the presence of God. I look at those moments when we find ourselves you know, being just swallowed up in some kind of a revelation or swallowed up in some kind of a, a, a meet-up with God or an angel or whatever it is. I look at those times and I say, but the Bible talks about, and there's a contrast here, and I want you to hear the contrast. The contrast is between Moses, you find this in Corinthians, who would go into the presence of God and that his face would shine in that glory and he'd put, a, he'd put a mask on so that the children of Israel couldn't see the glory fade. Because he would come out of there and the glory would just begin to fade until the next time he could go in then it would be brightened up again but then it would start to fade again. And he put a veil on so they couldn't see it. Well, the New Testament understanding of that is is that we come into the presence of God, we, that glory doesn't fade. That's an Old Testament idea. That's an Old Testament idea. See, we're changed from glory to ever-increasing glory. So instead of fading, our glory that comes on us gets brighter and brighter and brighter. That's God's intent. That's God's purpose. That's God's plan. That's God's word. And you can believe it or don't, but that's what he says. And just let that intensity, let that glory increase from ever and ever and ever increasing glory in our lives. And so God took away their reproach and he brought blessing. 
brought blessing. You need to read the rest of the story. It's a good one. It's a good one. And eventually he could talk again. And here. Everything worked out good. Right? So what's our response? And this is where I want to leave us tonight. Is what's our response? You know, this is all around Christmas. Right here. What's our response? we got a good time of year right now. I want glory to ever increase in glory in my life. I want a little bit of wonder. I want to be aware. Eyes wide open. This is God. This is what He's doing. This is what He has for my life. These are angels. Here's His presence. Here's the move of the Spirit. And have that kind of a sensitivity to the movings and revelations of God. And so I want to pray for that. I want to pray for that over us. And I want to encourage you to pray for that for yourself tonight. And let's let's ask God to make us more sensitive. Let's ask God to that we'd open our eyes. Let's ask God that we'd be more aware. And not in some weird half sleep state all the time. Not so self absorbed we're just missing it. But fully present. Father, thanks for uh, your love for us, and I thank you, God, that uh, you honor faithfulness. And so, God, firstly, I pray that we'd just be faithful people, that we'd be people that can be counted on, people that you can count on to do what you've called us to do and be who you've called us to be. I pray we'd be a people that can count on one another, a people, God, that are where we're supposed to be, when we're supposed to be there, doing what we're supposed to do. And I give you thanks that you honor that, and I give you thanks that there's a premium on that as we're your disciples. So use us in that, I pray. Use us in that. And I pray others could see that, and and you know, it'd just be an example of you, and, and just what you care about. Lord, I ask that we would be open to the supernatural in our lives. I pray that we'd be open to the, the fantastic, to wonder in our lives. That God, whatever our brains have conjured up is what matters. I pray that we would allow you to reorder some things. And I pray, God, that the stuff that you care about would be the stuff that we care about. I thank you for your angels. I thank you, God, that they minister to us. I thank you, God, that it's something that belongs to all of us. And I just ask you that we'd be more and more aware, sensitized to their comings and their goings and the work that they're doing in us, recognizing their protection and recognizing, Lord God, them keeping us and helping us, body, soul, and spirit. And God, we would have an open heart to recognize your movings by the whole, your Holy Spirit. The spiritual things that are taking place around us, the, the, the different comings and goings, your voice when you speak to us, your vision when you pour it out. God, the revelation that you want to bring. God, dreams as we're sleeping, vision as we're awake. Be sensitive to you.
I just ask that whatever clouds may hang before our eyes would be parted. Those curtains would be parted and that we'd see eyes wide open. I ask God that you just break through. Break through our dullness. Break through our slumber. I pray a new awareness on your people. We give you thanks. And we give you honor. We ask this in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the community that. I don't see a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You're home, yeah. <laughs>